Today's scripture reading comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, and chapter 12, 1 and 2. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is free from sin." Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not not die again. Death no longer rules over him, for the death he died. He died to sin once for all time, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let Sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lisa. Well, It's a little bit more dry up here, but my uh, sleeve is is still pretty wet. (laughs) Um, Since we dedicated our time of life and community to this special uh, time of profession of faith, we're not going to go over uh, the announcements and those kinds of things in detail in the bulletin, but if you go to page 11, 12, uh, 13, 14, you'll see there are a bunch of announcements there. And I want to direct you to those pages for a number of things happening in the life of our church. So we are in a teaching series to begin this year called Embodied. We've been looking at what the Bible teaches about the body specifically. We've been looking at how, according to the teaching of the Bible, the body is not second class to the soul. The body is not the prison of the soul how it's not in the background in our faith, as if immaterial and invisible things are what really, really matters. Instead, we've seen how the body is valued by God. We've seen how the body is understood and its limitations and its pain and its suffering is understood by God as the God who became incarnate and became embodied in Christ. And we've seen how our bodies will be fully redeemed and restored and resurrected by God. This morning, our focus will be on how our formation as 
Christians, how Christian formation is embodied formation. That as we change, as our lives are shaped and molded by our Christian faith, there's an aspect to it that is embodied. It is not just about the immaterial and invisible realm. To explain what this means, I want to start by showing some pictures. So this is audience interaction, and I want to ask you, what do you see? So let's see, the first picture. What is that? Mushrooms, yes. That's what I see as well. And here I am forgetting the official name of that. But those look like mushrooms. Second picture. What is that? Yeah, somebody said a mammoth. That's what I thought. Elephant. I think it's called elephant rock. These are, these are not like, um, you know, fake images. These are real things. These, these are real things that exist in the world. So that's elephant rock. Next one. Wave. Yeah, that's in Australia. That's a wave rock. And this next one, before you go there, I think many of you have been to this place. You've seen this. You probably touched it and climbed on it, but let's go to the next one. Skull Rock. Where's that? Joshua Tree. Yes, many of you know. So when I say, what do you see? Mushroom, elephant, wave, skull. You know, maybe I didn't hear anybody, but if somebody was feeling a little grumpy this morning, they would have said, rocks. Rocks, rocks, rocks. I didn't hear that. Maybe everybody's feeling happy. Um, Yes, okay. Oh, there we go. Yes, there's one. You say, these are just rocks. And I say, no, they are rock formations. Yes, they are just rocks, but they have been formed to become something more than just rocks. And I share that as an image for what formation is. What is Christian formation? It's this. When people look at our embodied life in action, they should say, it's not just a person. It's not just any old body. That's not just Eric. That's not just Jack. I'm going to pick on some of the people who were up here earlier. It's not just Roman. That's not just James. That's not just Felicia. That looks like Jesus. This has everything to do with our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our bodies. And that's what this passage is all about. It's about the process of change and formation as Christians. Paul says in verse 5, When a person places their faith in Jesus, they are united with him in the likeness of his death and the likeness of his resurrection. To believe in Jesus is to become united to him The Apostle Paul writes in this letter to the Romans, to be united to Jesus is to be shaped, is to be molded, is to be changed, is to be formed, to become like him in his likeness. This formation doesn't just happen in the inner part of us, in our souls, but it happens with our whole selves, including our bodies. And so as I was preparing this message, I was thinking of our young people who have professed faith in Jesus this morning. I've also was thinking about those who have placed our faith in Jesus and who are on the road of formation. And also those of you who are here this morning and you're not sure about Jesus and you wonder what would it look like if my life 
was shaped and formed by faith in him. So let's look at these few texts together, Romans 6 and Romans 12. Three things about formation according to Christianity. One, the inevitability of formation. Formation is inevitable. If we could start by looking at Romans 12, 1 and 2, I'll explain what that means. Let's look at verse 2. In this verse, the Apostle Paul is giving us two options in life. These are the two options in life according to Christianity. Do not be conformed, there's the word formed, to this age, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Conformed or transformed. Either way, you're formed. Formation then isn't optional. It's inevitable. We might say, wait. What about the just chillin' option? I don't want to be conformed. I don't know about being transformed, but what about me just being me? Being my own person, doing my own thing. I'm not shaped, I'm not molded, I'm not changed. It's just me being me and I'm just chilling. What about that option, Paul? Well, Paul would say, and Jesus taught, really the entire Bible would say to us, that option doesn't exist. To be alive is to be formed in some way, shape, or form. To be alive is to be conformed or transformed. There's no zone of non-formation. This teaching is something that is widely recognized by sociology, psychology, business, marketing, you name it. Formation isn't optional. We as human beings are always being shaped and we're always being molded by things other than us. Stories and narratives around us, they form us, what we believe is real and true. The rhythms and the patterns of our culture and our communities and by the people we spend time with, we become like them. We like what they like. All those things form us and they're not us. They're things other than us. Let me give you a few examples because this is really important. I have three examples. This afternoon, first example, a number of people, a very large number of people, will be rooting probably pretty hard and passionately for a football team, and they were previously not fans of this team. <laughs> Everybody knows where I'm going with this. And they were previously not really interested in football at all. But they will be passionately rooting for a certain team. Why? Because a certain singer and pop star is in a relationship with a certain player on this certain team. So millions of people will be doing something that a few months ago they had no interest in doing. Formation. Another example. Next week, some of you will give little cards away to other people, maybe in your class or a special person. You will do many things, like your body will do things, right? You will go to a store. Pull money out of your pocket. You will pay for a card. You will write a card. You will go buy flowers. You will go buy chocolates. You will do all these things, right? You didn't decide that. Some of you don't have a choice. You have to do it. <laughs> Somewhere along the way, this day was added to our cultural calendar, and we all just do it. Formation. Okay, one more example. I was reading a business expert talking about this, the hidden forces that influence our behavior. He shared a story about his dad 
It's funny, I thought I had to share it. It was a lawyer in Washington, D.C., and he said his dad's always complaining about how all the lawyers in D.C. drive BMWs. And this guy said, he told his dad, Dad, you drive a BMW. And he said, yeah, but mine's blue and everybody else's is gray. And he thought he wasn't being formed. <laughs> Formation. What's not a question? Am I being formed? Yes. That's not an option. That's inevitable. What is a question? Who or what am I being formed into? Who am I becoming? Every, per- every person must ask that. Every Christian must step back and ask regularly, who am I becoming? Formation is inevitable. The necessity of formation or the inevitability. I'd like now to turn our attention to the goal of formation. We often think of the goal of spiritual formation, of faith formation as an invisible thing. You know, it's what we think about. It's what we feel on the inside in our hearts. It's what we desire. That's true. It's our invisible prayer life with God. That's true. But all this can be very hard to understand and practice. When we want to answer the question, am I becoming like Jesus or not? When Paul describes formation, becoming like Jesus, let's now look at Romans chapter 6 and chapter 12. He says the same thing here in verse 13 of chapter 6. What does he say it looks like? What is formation Look like it looks like offering the parts of our body. He says, Don't offer them to sin, any parts of it, your body. Offer yourselves and all the parts and members of your body to God. And he uses that same language in chapter 12, verse 1, when he says, Here is what the Christian life is all about present your soul to God, present your heart to God. No, present your body as a living sacrifice. Our life in the body is our offering to God for everything he has done for us in Jesus Christ. It's very visible, the body. Say, okay, I see that here in the text. What does it really mean? Let me share something I discovered while I've been studying about this whole topic of embodiment and what that has to do with our faith. Earlier in the letter to the Romans, the same letter in chapter 3, Paul The Apostle Paul is collecting all the teaching of the Bible from the key passages. There's seven different passages he's collecting when he's summarizing the human condition. He's saying this is how we've been malformed. This is how our lives have been turned away from God. And he creates this summary of how humanity is formed under the reign and rule and the power of what he calls sin, the power of turning away from God. Let's look at how he describes this in a slide. I know it's a little bit small, but I hope you can see it. He says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, in the path of peace they have not known. 
There is no fear of God before their eyes. You go to the next slide. And what I did was just underline all the references to the body in this passage. Throat, tongues, lips, mouth, feet, our paths, where we go, and our eyes. Formation isn't just about the invisible parts of us. This is what Paul is talking about in verse 13 when he says, don't offer any parts of it, your body, to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. We use our mouth to curse, to speak ill of people, to gossip, to speak bitter words. We use our tongue to deceive and to lie. We use our feet to step into places we shouldn't be or conflicts where we shouldn't go and to make conflicts worse. We use our eyes and we see things without reference to God. Paul says this is like having a weapon. What what an interesting word, a weapon for unrighteousness, using our body against God's purposes. And he says the goal then of Christian formation The second part of verse 13, don't offer yourselves and the parts of your body as a weapon for unrighteousness. Verse 13, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves or your body as weapons for righteousness. Now this word weapon is very interesting. It could be translated instrument or something like a tool, but most commentators are agreed. This is a kind of military imagery that the Apostle Paul is using. A weapon can be used to damage and harm and destroy what is good or a weapon can be used to attack that which is evil. So I want to summarize it by saying this and and I really wanted to put this in the minds of our young people who are professing their faith today. The goal of our Christian formation according to this passage is For you to become an embodied weapon for righteousness. That sounds cool. Interesting. Wow. That's a different way to think about it. I'm a father of four boys. I have all boys. And when they turn a certain age, uh, turn the corner to becoming young men, uh, there's something I learned from a number of sources that I thought, this is a good idea. So I give them a weapon. So one person left. Don't worry, it's not a, it's a knife. It's a small kind of pocket knife. Um, and the reason I give that to them, I explain to them uh, that now as a young man in the world, you have strength. You're going to make an impact. Your life in the world will impact. It will affect other people. Use the strength for good and not for evil. You're like this sharp instrument that's going into the world with your mouth, with your lips, with your feet, with your eyes. You're going to make an impact. Be a weapon, a weapon for righteousness. Clearly the body is not like in the background here, second class to the soul. Paul's saying the body is not something that's like a playground It's just my thing that I have fun with. It's not to be comforted and pampered. 
It's not a canvas to express ourselves. It's not a random collection of atoms that have really no purpose. We just do with it what we please. Paul says, no, it's meant to be what you use to make an impact in the world. For righteousness. Using your mouth to speak truth and encouragement. Your lips to praise. Powerful. Our lips are powerful. A gentle answer can turn away wrath, the Proverbs say. Your feet should be swift to go to places to protect, protect life, to go where other people need you, and your eyes to see with the fear of the Lord. That's the goal of our formation. Now, on this theme, I have another slide that I'd like to put up. This is our goal because this was Jesus' goal. He used his body as a weapon for righteousness. Listen to how it's described here. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. That's a powerful weapon to take people like us who are not holy, (laughs) definitely not blameless, And somehow, using his body, he takes on our sin and the blame we deserve. And he makes us faultless and blameless before him. Hebrews 10.10, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Once for all time in the body of Jesus Christ. He offered it up for us and what happens? We are sanctified. Set apart to God forever. It's a powerful weapon. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. In his body he bore all of our sins so we don't bear them anymore. So that we might come to life for righteousness and in his wounds on his body We are healed. Wow. The God of the universe took on a body so that he might fight, destroy, and win the victory over our enemies, our sin, our guilt, our shame, the flesh, the world, and the devil. It's quite a weapon. There's a scene, one of my favorite scenes from... um, the Lord of the Rings, it's in the books, but it's also my favorite scene from the movies. Can I still do Lord of the Rings illustration? Is that still something that we, okay, let's do it. Um, there's a scene where <clears throat> Aragorn, the great king, you know, Aragorn is trying to lead this army of people who have no business being soldiers, and there's the, the, the orcs are coming, they're the Urukai orcs, they're like the big and, and nasty ones, and it's like, this is not going to go well, we don't stand a chance. And there's a little boy with a, um, a weapon. And they pulled out their rusty weapons from the back shed. And here Aragorn is. He's got like a, you know, a real sword. And he's got his sword and he's looking at it. He's preparing for the battle. And there's this little boy who's like 13 years old. And he's all scared and he's timid. And he's looking at his beat up sword. (laughs) And Aragorn can tell this kid is scared. And he looks at him and he says, that is a good sword. And all of a sudden, the, the, the little boy's face changes and lights up. 
maybe we can fight this battle. Now, that's, that's like us. Our great king, <laughs> he's won the victory. His body was the weapon that put to death our sin, our shame, and has won the decisive victory over death. And he looks at us and we look at our bodies like, what can we do? What kind of weapon am I? And he says, this is a good weapon. I can use you. I can use you to fight for righteousness. Well, I want to talk about, to close, the power. That's the goal of formation, the power of formation. How do we change to become more like Jesus? It's a big question. This passage, Romans 6, tells us we need to draw power from something that most of us don't. What is it? Baptism. Look at verse 1. Should we continue to sin so grace may multiply? Follow with me on this. Notice Paul's answer. He doesn't say, no, we should not do that. We should not just, because we're saved by grace and it's a gift, let's just continue to sin. They don't, it doesn't say that's abusing grace. We shouldn't do it. That's abusing grace. It doesn't say that's being ungrateful. It doesn't say that's being a hypocrite. All those things are true. He says, no, absolutely not. How can we? In other words, he doesn't say we shouldn't do it. He doesn't say, don't keep on sinning. You shouldn't do that. He says, you can't. You can't do it. You're not able. There's a power at work that won't let you. But it's a power we can be unaware of and thus not draw from. Look at verse 3. Are you unaware? Meaning, sometimes we can be unaware of this. All who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, so we too may walk in newness of life. If we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. We could, we could go on and on about this forever, but baptism is a power that we need to draw from. It's God's embodied way of telling us, this is who you are and this is who I am making you. If your faith is in Jesus, this is who you are becoming. The water on us, on our bodies, tells us and shows us. You're not left to your feelings. You're not left to whether you're having a good day or a bad day, as Chris said earlier. You're not left to your own subjective spiritual thoughts. This water will tell you who you are becoming if your faith is in Jesus. Look at verse 6. Our old self is crucified with him. Verse 12. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its desires. Sin, guilt, and shame has no reign over you if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and been baptized. This water is something visible for us because it's so hard for us to grab a hold of that often. God says, I know. And so I'm giving you something embodied. We're meant to remember and go back again and again and again as Paul does here in Romans 6 and tell ourselves, even when I don't feel like it, sometimes when I get lost, 
This is why God has given us the embodied means of grace. To give us something embodied. So that we know even more real than the water is our forgiveness, is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, is the end of the reign of sin over us. God has given us these two embodied means of grace, baptism and also the Lord's Supper, which we will partake of in a moment. When we come to the waters, when we remember our baptism, when we come to the table, we come back again and again and again to the one thing that makes our formation possible. Romans 12.1 says it. I'm going to close with this. When Paul says, I urge you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Be transformed, I urge you. What does he urge us by? Look at Romans 12.1. Does he say, I urge you by the judgment of God. If you don't do it, it's going to be bad. Does he say, I urge you by the condemnation you will receive if your life isn't transformed? Does he say, I urge you by all the commandments? Does he say, I urge you by the guilt? Does he say, I urge you by the shame you will feel? No, he says, I urge you by the mercies of God. Mercy means God delights in giving love and grace and power to people who don't deserve it. We are not changed by our own effort. We are not changed by getting to a place where we think that we deserve it. It is from beginning to end mercy. No one accidentally becomes a doctor. It takes a lot of years of formation to become a doctor. Learning, watching, practicing. No one accidentally becomes a successful cross-country runner. No one says, whoops, I just started running a five-minute mile. It was an accident. It was an accident. No one ever said that. No one accidentally joins an orchestra playing the trumpet or piano, like, I don't know how I got here, but I'm just playing the trumpet. It's just coming out of my mouth. No, it takes practice. It takes learning. It takes time. No one accidentally becomes like Jesus. We present ourselves, we offer ourselves to the one in mercy who has offered himself for us. Let's pray. Our Father, We thank you for this incredible news that though you, in your mercy, receive us, accept us, and love us just as we are, you love us to such an extent that you won't leave us as we are, but you will form us into all that we were made to be. We remember your word says that Those whom you foreknew, you predestined to become conformed to the image of your Son. And that indeed all things work together for that purpose. You are so committed to us, becoming who we are meant to be. Even when we're not, even when we lose sight of it, even when we're not presenting ourselves. Lord, 
We thank you that you meet us with mercy. And now I pray, before we all come to this table of mercy, that we would come with hearts open, not dwelling on whether we deserve grace for the week that we had or the month that we had, the people that we are, the struggles that we're struggling with, but we would just come and plea for mercy. And we thank you that that is a plea, that is a cry that you always answer and meet with fresh and sustaining grace. Make us more like Jesus, we pray. In his name, amen.